Trying Day of the Journey, episode 46 with Philip Nelson, the second half of his conversation with publisher Chris Milligan. With us is Philip Nelson, author of Remember the Liberty, Almost Sunk by Treason on the High Seas, about the vicious attack on a U.S. naval ship in collusion with the president intended to foment war between Israel and her Arab neighbors. Phil has also written LBJ, the mastermind of the JFK assassination, LBJ from mastermind to the Colossus, and who really killed Martin Luther King Jr., the case against Lyndon B. Johnson and J. Edgar Hoover. Phil and Chris, it's great to be with you both. Cynical blood politics, I tell you, just uh, most people won't even go there to, to think that somebody would, would do something like that. And, and used, you know, the blood of our own citizens to help themselves get elected. I mean, it's... Uh... Captain McGonagall, on his, um, I guess, near his deathbed, told uh, Lieutenant uh, George Golden that it was, quote, the president and Robert McNamara, that he had straight information through Fort Meade, NSA, that when they sent us up from over in Africa, we were there to have this happen. That's a quote from McGonagall to Lieutenant George Golden. So, they were there and they were the ones who, who had been subjected to this. So, so how do these crew members, you know, that are still alive, how, how do they deal with it? You know, I mean, it's gotta be hard. A, a, a lot of them are so still shell-shocked, you could say. As a matter of fact, one of them whose, whose name is not on the book, but who is another survivor, and in fact, he, he's he's, become one of the leaders recently. For, for many years though, he, he basically tried to stay out of it. He, he just couldn't handle it. And it was only because of some of the information that, that came out. I, I guess some of it was in my first book, you know, the Skyhorse book, and then this book. But I'm gonna read you just a passage, okay? okay. Th th this is what he wrote as an Amazon review. He wrote, Remember the Liberty by Mr. Nelson provides the most plausible explanation for why the attack occurred and why our government to this day refuses to conduct an official investigation into the attack. I commend Mr. Nelson for his excellent work and hope that every person reading this book will recognize that the government still hasn't told you the whole story behind the attack on the USS Liberty. There is but one most plausible reason for our government to continue to conduct this massive cover-up that has gone on now for over five decades, as this book demonstrates. That has to be because President Johnson was directly involved, not just in withholding military support from the Sixth Fleet during the attack and conducting the brutal cover-up afterwards, but in the planning and execution of the attack well before the actual attack occurred. That fact was proven by what Captain McGonagall told George Golden shortly before he died, that it was President Johnson and Robert McNamara. He had straight information through Fort Meade that when they sent us, us up from over in Africa, we were there to have this happen. S similar to what Ad Admiral Lawrence Geese, who, who uh, told wounded survivor David Lewis aboard the USS America just a, a few days before the attack. Geese was stunned by the order coming from Secretary McNamara uh, to, to recall the squadron. So, so he uh, explained that he had a duty to send the squadron of fighter jets to defend the Liberty from the attackers. And uh, Ma McNamara also responded that 
quote, President Johnson is not going to go to war or embarrass an American ally over a few sailors. All that was overheard by, by a petty officer named Tony Hart, uh, who was somewhere else. It, he was in within the uh, Sixth Fleet. A lot of this came over the radio sort of inadvertently. And so other people came forward and said the same thing. Uh, so did your book pull other people out of the woodwork? Well, and, yeah. And has the book done what you wanted it to do? It, it has. I'm very pleased with it. I, I think, and I appreciate uh, all the help that you've been in order to get it published. I, I'm thrilled to have gotten it done, uh, especially with the, uh, the work of, of the other three um, co-authors, Ernie Gallo, Phil Turney, and Ron uh, Kukul, all, all of whom had just very compelling stories about what they experienced and the, the horrors that they, they, they lived through as could only be told by guys who were right there and their own words. I, I did very little editing. I might've cleaned up some punctuation or something or uh, corrected the spelling error, but that's about it. We get a call, I think it's from, from Ronald, you know, about every uh, month or so, and he works with a uh, museum and they continue to sell copies. So the story is getting out there but it doesn't seem to resonate very far. Well, you, you struck on an excellent point. And I've, I've heard from other people, many of whom, well, there's this guy, you may have heard of Tom Cahill. Uh, he, he, he was, oh my God, he, he was subjected to a extreme torture through uh, the FBI and COINTELPRO and back in uh, the, the uh, late 60s. Basically because Johnson didn't like the fact that this guy was protesting the war down there in his hometown, more or less, of uh, San Antonio. And he got the royal treatment. I mean, not royal. It was, it was, it was just a atrocious example of, of what would happen to people if they dared cross LBJ and Jagger Hoover. A lot of this stuff I've covered in blogs that go way beyond, uh, you know, the fir the, that first book. I mean, that first book got a lot of criticism because a lot of people didn't think LBJ was smart enough or cunning or whatever. But he was more than that. He, uh, I, I think the fact that, and, and this is the, the point that was made by this Tom Cahill, that if Johnson would do something as, as god-awful as attack his own ship and intentionally try to sink it with 294 men on board, if, if he could do that, if he could rationalize doing that, then he could rationalize anything. And the, the, the murder of John F. Kennedy was just one person who stood in his way. And, and there were many, many others who, who crossed him. And as a matter of fact, you'll, you'll find within my blogs additional assertions that I, I was simply not aware of when I wrote all four of those books. And so, so in addition to John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King, I believe he was responsible for numerous other murders. Well, here, just this thing with the USS Liberty, I mean, he's responsible for the 34 men who died and the 174 who were injured. And, and, and you, you could argue that if were it not for the U.S. entry into the Vietnam War, the Americanization of what was a civil war, by the way, in a third world, fourth world country across the other side of the world, you know, the millions of people who, who died there, well, 58,000 plus Americans, and then the millions of Cambodians and Laotians and Vietnamese and so forth that, that would not have happened were it not for what he did. 
and I have to blame him. And it was everyone says, oh, well, you, he was just part of the national security state that he was pushed into it by uh, all these other people. And that's that's an interesting argument. But he had the final word. It was his decision. It was his you know mania that drove that through. Well, I got news for you. I believe I've made a case. I haven't convicted him of these uh, that I'm going to mention now, but I've made a pretty strong case that Lyndon Johnson was also behind the murder of Adlai Stevenson, Thomas Burton, and even the Australian Prime Minister, Harold Holt. So anybody who thinks that, that, that they, they denied Johnson had anything to do with the murder of John F. Kennedy because he was not smart enough or not clued in enough or not connected enough. Well, he was, he was all that and more. You can't tell me that the national security state had any interest in murdering Thomas Merton, for example, or Australian Prime Minister Harold Holt, or Adlai Stevenson, or Martin Luther King. The, 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 the point is, yes, it was him. He was involved in all of this. And that was very personal stuff. His anger at Thomas Merton and Harold Holt had nothing to do with any kind of national security issues. No, nothing to do, Walt Rostow wouldn't have any interest in that, would he, really? I don't think so. I, I do think that, that the power that Lyndon Johnson had is not the same as the president has today because I think some of it was curtailed. Um, Nixon, after Nixon, they brought in all kinds of lawyers and there's a bunch more restrictions on, on what the president can do, because I, I, I do see that in, in my research that it was much more, they had much more power. All, same, same for the, the, the secret societies at that point in time, they, they weren't as checked. And, you know, to go back to the Vietnam War, I mean, I was sitting there in 1969 with my uh, dad and this professor from Vanderbilt, and they tell me that they, are playing out a lose scenario in Vietnam, that they were following this lose scenario of this assessment report that they had created for Eisenhower. And the Vietnam War was actually, you know, one of these cynical blood politics um, that the powers that be were using to herd us into the position that they wanted. Phil, how, how do people uh, get a hold of you? you? You have a blog. How, how, how do people find you? Okay, the, the blog is simply titled LBJ, The Master of Deceit. It's, it's both a, a website that is, has a menu for if you want to check out the books or uh, testimonials or this or that. And then there's a section called the blog. You go there and if you scroll down on the, um, on the right side, you'll, you'll, you'll see how they're archived by month. For the individual month, it, there's a little number there. That's the number of uh, blogs that were published that month. Well, and, and, and they're very good, folks. I, I strongly recommend them. And now, Phil, you know, I, I've done some deep dives and, and you did a deep dive on, on JFK. And, you know, I, I think that LBJ was uh, definitely one of the uh, people who had foreknowledge and was a, a plotter in the JFK assassination. Now, when you brought that story to the JFK community, what happened? Well, do I have to relive that, Chris? <laughs> you are cruel. <laughs> well, 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 basically, you know, 
there's there there's always at least been two JFK assassination communities, and and one of them you can say you know some stuff, and the other one you can't say that LBJ was involved. And what did you think when you when you landed in the JFK assassination community? Well, I I guess I can't say I I was not forewarned that that just the title of the book, just that one single word, mastermind, was going to get me a lot of trouble. And I, I got that message from Noel Twyman, who wrote, who, a great author who wrote uh, Bloody Treason. And he was the one, when, when I bounced that title off of him, he said, oh, no, Phil, you, you, you don't want to do that. I said, well, why not? That's what it's all about. He says, there are a lot of people, old time researchers who, who are not going to accept that. And they're, they're going to just jump all over it just for that one word. And I, I uh, argued the point with him and everything, and I understood this point, but I decided to go ahead with it anyway, because that's, that's what I thought was the, the trigger that would, would cause a lot of people who were just like me, who had experienced living through the 1960s, you know, it was all goes back to this idiotic war that, that Lyndon Johnson came into office with and decided he wanted to, to exploit. I was already on to LBJ. Because in 1961, that's when I, first, in February of 19, just a month after the inauguration, I, I somehow realized this guy, he's a real piece of work, this London Johnson. I think it was the third Monday of February, as something came across the PA system in the high school where I, I was, saying uh, that there, was an, there had been an airplane crash down in Texas on the run, uh, basically on the runway of the, the ranch where Lyndon Johnson lived. But the mystery was that, well, that accident or whatever happened like three days before. Why are we just now hearing about it? That, that was number one. Well, then, you know, year, uh, months later, it, it kept on dribbling out this and that. It looked a little weird, strange and so forth. But it wasn't until 1964 where when the book um, by J. Abbott's Haley came out, a Texan looks at Lyndon. Where, where he talked about that tragedy and a lot of other stuff that Johnson had surrounded himself with, with <laughs> mafia people and this fellow named Billy Saul Estes. And that book covered the whole gamut that had was known at that time. It, it didn't really accuse him of actually uh, being involved in the murder of JFK, but that was always sort of a suspicion in a lot of people's minds. And by the way, I, I, we found out later but by, by the testimony of Gore Vidal, the late Gore Vidal, that a lot of politicians and people in the know in Washington, D.C. suspected that same thing immediately after the assassination. But they were afraid to say it. Even senators who, who had a duty to respond to that, I think, congressmen as well, didn't do it because they were, every, everybody was afraid of Lyndon Johnson. Yep, yep. It, not just them, but the people back in Texas. I mean, you, you still hear stories about how, how people, you know, distrusted him and knew that he was, he was uh, dirty and so forth. And so, so now it's, it's difficult for me to uh, comprehend why, why some people still cling to this idea that, well, this is the guy who brought us, you know, so much great progressive legislation and they don't realize that he had stalled that legislation for 27 years, yep. 27 freaking years. He, 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 he stalled that. And, oh, you could say, yeah, but what about the 1957 Civil Rights Act that he was the one who primarily responsible for? Well, 
that's wonderful, except that it was meaningless. It was toothless. It had no provisions other than um, deferring back to the, the existing uh, jur jury system in the South, white males, basically, and depended upon, you know, their attitudes, which was maybe many cases were of the racist variety. And uh, so nothing really changed. Yep. And, and even even leading liberals at the time said as much. They said it's, it, it's worse than nothing, is, is what Joseph Ryle said. My, my crew for the JFK assassination are, are, are J. Edgar Hoover and LBJ. You know, they're, 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 they're some of the base of it. And they're so blackmailable that, you know, you've got them in your pocket. And then you've got Alan Dulles. And then you've got George H.W. Bush and Nelson Rockefeller with Averill Harriman and David Rockefeller off in the off in the side because there was a Trent Parker and he got a, a phone conversation with the with those five. But uh, Bruce, do you have a, a question for Phil? I do, Phil. If the Liberty had sunk, would nukes have fallen on Cairo? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm. I'm uh, in fact, the, the jets were already on their way. This is not just yeah. in my book; it's in a number of documentaries. If, if anyone doubts any of this part of it, just go to uh, Google or otherwise and, and plug in uh, BBC documentary, Dead in the Water, and you'll see it for yourself. It's an hour long, but be patient. It's all there. So, yeah, it was, that is exactly what happened. And it was like, how, how could Johnson really intentionally do something like that that would provoke, you know, start the World War III, which is going to be a nuclear war? Centered over Jerusalem, by the way. Who in their right mind would do that? Well, you know, he wasn't in his right mind. And that's the point that everyone doesn't really absorb. You, you have to understand, he was psychotic much of the time. And that doesn't come from me either. I'm just parroting what, uh, what Richard Goodwin said in his 1988 book, Remembering America. And he's referencing what Bill Moyers said and the, and the two of them did. And even though Moyers refuses to talk about it, it doesn't matter because we got it right there from Richard Goodwin. And he, uh, he, when he published that book, Moyers and a lot of other people were not real happy with that because they, they felt the secret that they had alone had kept all this time in 1988, here it was 20 years later, I guess, that the secret was out and that uh, no one realized until then that Johnson had serious mental collapses and some and sometimes it, we find out all these years later that he would spend days you know just locked up isolated not willing to talk to anybody and you know who knows what was going through his deluded mind but yeah that's what exactly happened and, and it's it's unfortunate that we have a lot of authors who choose to ignore that i mean robert caro did address some of that yet he hasn't gone to Moyer, or Moyer's hadn't cooperated with him or whatever. The Moyer story is not there. And Caro has even hidden a lot of what even uh, Richard Goodman had to say about it. So the, you have these people who are trying to resurrect the legacy, the supposed fall legacy of Lyndon Johnson because of all that progressive legislation. He did that progressive legislation for his own legacy, and it was there from the start. He knew that it was inevitable. And he knew that if he played his cards right, he would get the credit for it. 
even though he had, he's been the very one who tried to impede it for 27 freaking years. And then as soon as he became president, that very day, suddenly he switched 180 degrees. Now he's all for it. But even during Kennedy's time, when Kennedy and had, had that legislation drafted and put on the agenda of Congress in, in June of 1963, it, it was without Johnson's approval. In fact, Johnson wasn't even invited to participate in that. And here he was supposed to be the chairman of, of the what was called the um, Equal Opportunity yeah. Commission. And he wasn't even invited. That's because they had lost trust and faith in him. And Kennedy's hated Lyndon Johnson by June of 1963. And they weren't real crazy about him even before that. He, was, he forced himself on the ticket. Now, why did he do that? But basically, he, he had gotten to the point where, where he had lost a lot of power as the master of the Senate. And he knew it. He, he wanted the, uh, the option. But he, when, when it came to, to actually running for the office, he decided he didn't want to be the primary candidate because he was Southern and in Texas and not very well known outside of Texas. And therefore, he wanted to latch on to the young Kennedy because he thought he would have a better shot. And basically, he wanted to be second on the ticket to Kennedy because he knew that he would soon dispatch. I'm not saying that he did the whole thing. In fact, as the mastermind has been misrepresented as, as some, somehow putting him in charge of everything and making all the decisions and all the, the appointments and everything, else. that's ridiculous. I never said that. The dictionary says, that title fits a person who basically comes up with an idea and then sets forth in motion whatever is needed to do that. And that's exactly what he did. So yeah, there's CIA, there's Secret Service, James Rowley, there, there was FBI, uh, Hoover and so forth, and there was military and Howard Burris was directly connected to all, all the military and the CIA. And he was the key point man. And so far has been probably the least understood, the least investigated, the least researched participant. There's your next book. Well, actually, there's a friend of mine is actually writing a book and that he's going to get into all that. It all fits together, in, in, at least in my mind. And the story of the liberty is arguably the most compelling of all of it that is proven not by me, but by these guys that, who served on the, the ship and not just the ones who participated in, the, in, in this book, but all of these other key officers that I've just mentioned, these admirals, Admiral Larry Geis, for example, but also Admiral Thomas Moore, who was the, a key guy who actually tried to get the thing resolved and investigated thoroughly, but he was stopped as well. But altogether, he, he really did, and they, they did, make the case. All I did was help to chronicle it. I really appreciate the book. It really made me understand the liberty more. And if, if I may, I, I think we should, uh, you know, quick little bit of silence and, and, a, and a prayer for the people that died and for all the people that were affected directly by it. Because I mean, it, it's just horrendous. And I mean, can you imagine being a sailor on a ship and knowing that your own people are trying to kill you and not knowing why and you know maybe later on figuring out oh it's this silly political thing but i tell you it just really rips my heart and uh yeah i i can't imagine prayers for the folks
what those guys, especially the guys, but all of them, but especially the guys who had been on the deck of the Liberty and sunning themselves and having a wonderful, it was a beautiful day. And suddenly you, you look up and there's a, a, a formation of, you know, fighter jets headed your way, getting lower by the second and, and more aggressive looking. And suddenly they, they start firing it at you and you have to get off the off of there or you're going to be dead within seconds. Okay, can you imagine the thoughts that, what the hell is this about? Wow, so your, your website again, Phil? LBJ, the master of deceit. Okay, thank you very much, Phil, for coming on. I really appreciate it. God bless. Well, well, well thank you, Chris and Bruce. I, I appreciate um, the opportunity. Sure.